Many thanks to our choir, to Tim, Angela, Frank, and thanks to you for being here this day. And what a beautiful day it is outside. I hope you enjoyed the good temperatures out there and that you um, get to spend some time in strong fellowship with your family today or friends as you gather around the table following worship. As we continue our Mountainside Messages series, we hear again from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's fifth chapter this morning. We'll start with the 38th verse. Let me invite you to stand as you're able to to hear the reading of the gospel this morning. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You know, I can remember back as a child going to Sunday school on a Sunday morning when this was the passage that we heard. And if you remember those little leaflets that we used to receive in Sunday school, they had a picture on the front that helped uh, lay out what that scripture was and what it might have looked like and who the characters were. And on this particular leaflet, there was the picture of a Roman soldier and a little boy. And at the bottom, it says... And if one would require you to go one mile, go with them too. You see, it was one of the requirements of Roman law that if a Roman soldier came along and saw you along the road, that he might require you to carry his pack one mile. And on those very fine Roman roads, there were even mile posts that marked the way. So as the Roman soldier convinced you, cajoled you, You had to, no matter whether you wanted to whine or complain, whatever it was, you you had to carry the pack for a mile. It might have been uh, a good strapping adult that might be required to do that, but it also might be an older person. could even be a child, as was depicted in the picture from my Sunday school that day. Those Roman roads were beautifully built carried uh, those Roman armies all throughout the Holy Land and that Near Eastern world, but they were also the markers of the markers of requirement and obligation and command and law. As those armies marched through, they were less than hospitable. 
You remember the setting where we are as Jesus gives to us these messages from the mountainside? If, uh, if we reset our, our map here in the sanctuary, this is our Sea of Galilee and the front row of pews are the northern coast. We've got John sitting in Capernaum right here. And we've got, oh, Phillips is over here close to Tabga where the loaves and the fishes miracle took place. The feeding of 5,000. And Gardner is still back up there. On, wave at him, Gardner. The Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, Magdala over here where Mary Magdalene was from is over here. Tiberius back over here near where Sharon Gates sits and the choir. The rest of them are fishing, I guess, on the southern end. All right, yeah. Then we've got the Decapolis, the ten cities of the Greek Decapolis over here on the south and east. But if you, maybe you don't really know how big the Sea of Galilee is. The Dead Sea is much bigger. But the Sea of Galilee, well, if you went out to the reservoir, you might actually get an idea of something close to the size of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you started at Corrine Deweese's house down there by Main Harbor and started making your way up through the reservoir and passed by Jimmy and Kathy Young on the left and then way over there, there's the Powell's house around in the Peelabahatch Bay area, you know. And then you got, uh, then come on up and you can wave at Jimmy and Sherry Hunter over there at Lost Rabbit. And then you could, you know, on up through the reservoir. We've got about 15 miles, and as you drive the Natchez Trace, you can count those mile markers. It's just about 15 miles from the levee to uh, the top up there, uh, just up above the reservoir where the bridge crosses, Highway 43. But it's a little bit wider than what we experience at the reservoir. It's 15 miles long, but the Sea of Galilee is about 10 miles wide. And it's a bit shaped like a diamond, so our map is a little bit off up here. But it's uh, big enough, and Jimmy would tell you, it's a big enough place that if the wind kicks up and the waves start to generate, you can generate a pretty good squall. So when Jesus calms the storm, it was probably no little thing that they were experiencing in their boat. Well, if you look back to verse 20, that we looked at last week, you see the background verse for even what we're going to experience today. Do you remember what it says in verse 20? It says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's still Jesus saying in verse 20, calling us to a higher form of righteousness that sets the background for today's passage sets the background and the context for the continuation of today's text. If you remember, we've been looking at six examples that Jesus gives for this higher righteousness to which he calls us. Last week, we looked at four of those, four of those that uh, some of us, you know, kind of made us uncomfortable. They're not easy on us. What follows... Today's passage are two more examples of how we might live by Jesus' higher righteousness. The demands of these texts are high, but you have to be careful because applying literalism to these texts is not the thing to do. I know, I know how many of you felt last week as we 
heard Jesus' words on divorce, they were pretty, pretty sharp and focused, right? And uh, we struggled some with that. And when we heard his words about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, lop it off. Pretty extreme sort of stuff, right? Well, we've got to remember the cultural context to which Jesus was preaching. He was preaching to a group of men who probably had handed out papers of divorce for the littlest thing. Uh, to women who had no power, no rights under Hebrew law. And when he, uh, when he talks about plucking out your eye, ooh. But think about it this way. Through the years, I've heard a n- number of preachers in other settings, I think, than Methodist churches <laughs> preach against divorce. The interesting thing that I found, though, was that I didn't find a single one of those preachers that was one-eyed. You know what I mean? So you got to be careful that you uh, not apply literalism to these sort of texts to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us about the higher righteousness to which he calls us. In each of the six examples, Jesus calls us to a higher righteousness, a holiness that goes far beyond what we're used to seeing, that which is common, far beyond the simple, far beyond that which is easy for us to accomplish in our Christian lives. We knew that those Hebrew people were living by the Torah, the law, law given to them by Moses, uh, contained in which books of the Bible? The first five, the Pentateuch, it's called, that's the seminary word for the day, Penta, five, Tuch, meaning the book. And uh, we have in those first five books of the Bible the demands upon the lives of the Hebrew people. And Jesus was not trying to abolish that law, but he was trying to fulfill it. And he says to them, as, as he says, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He's telling the people, you don't have to try to beat the worst of our society. You've got to try to beat the best in our society. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were those experts, they were those professionals in the law that were trying to call people to a follow in a high righteousness. Jesus says, yours has got to be even higher. That's the first point that you need to remember today is that Jesus is always calling us to a higher righteousness than that which we're used to. Walter Brueggemann took a look at the Ten Commandments and and Brueggemann is cut off in the little box I think that contains this quote on your sheet today. That was my fault. Uh, But he says about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are the expression of what God cares most about. The Ten Commandments are the expression of what God cares most about. So as the Hebrew people received the law of Moses, and particularly as they boiled it down to those Ten Commandments that we get in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we were hearing, they were hearing what God cares most about. But Jesus is saying to his people, you might have the law, You might have what you get there in Exodus and Deuteronomy. But my righteousness is higher. You might even hear a reading from Leviticus, like we heard from Leviticus 19 today. But the righteousness to which I'm calling you is even higher. So when you hear the law, 
when you read the law, when you see the speed limit sign posted on the roadside, I'm calling you to a higher righteousness than you think you're obliged to meet. William Cotton said about this, Jesus speaks to those who believe that the faith is a matter of keeping a spiritual report card based on the commandments. It's like Jesus is saying, hmm, I see that you have really followed commandment number six. But let me tell you, it's more than that. It's beyond that. Then you need to live and love your, not only your neighbor, but the one who hurts you, as Jennifer talked about with the children this morning. You've got to live in love for that one that despises you that persecutes you, that is even your enemy. How do we live like that? How do we live up to the expectations that Jesus puts on our lives to live like that? Faith is about more than keeping score. It has to do with caring for what God cares most about. How many of you have been watching the Olympics Oh, yes, there you are. Did you watch the opening ceremonies? You know, I I love even watching the opening ceremonies. I know it kind of drags on for a while, and you have to wait on all those teams come, come in the tunnel and up the ramp and all. But then they get to the depiction of what the Olympics are all about. And you get the speeches by the president of the International Olympic Committee, and you get the welcome from the host country, and all of those things. You see the pageantry as they lay out the country's history. And, but the athletes take the oath and they're reminded of why they are there. Sure, they're there to compete, but they're there because we want to promote, promote a world that comes together and gets along and that enjoys world peace. We really do want world peace, as Sandra Bullock says. <laughs> but then the competition starts. And it's dog eat dog. And it's nose to the grindstone. And even though we've heard all of those, all of those wishes and hopes and dreams for world peace, just deep down in our hearts, we're still saying, beat the Russians. And then we all gather back around at the closing ceremony and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Because that's what we're really called to. My first experience with the Special Olympics was really something that lived that out. It was that classic story about the Special Olympics that you hear about actually in front of me. I'm sitting in the referee's chair there beside the track, and as they started the final for the 100-yard dash, and the gun went off, and the athletes took off, One of them mistakenly tripped the other and they both went to the ground, but the one that had tripped his friend stood up, he stopped, he went and gathered up his friend. They stood up, they ran the hundred yards together holding hands up high. And I came to know what made Special Olympics special. It's what Jesus is telling us through the Apostle Paul in the 13th chapter of love. 
13th chapter of Corinthians about love. Love believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Jesus is calling us to a higher righteousness. But then here's what I think we really need to remember about this that Jesus is calling us to in this passage today. And that is that the higher righteousness of Jesus comes as a matter of choice, not as a matter of obligation. Jesus' emphasis here is on making our response to the gospel as a matter of choice rather than obligation. The only way that one can come up with a righteousness that exceeds is by choosing to do what one does not have to do. It basically comes down to two choices. The first choice is that we choose to go further than we're asked to go. And the second one is we choose to go further not only for the just, but also for the unjust. Not just for the righteous, but also for the unrighteous. Not just for the ones we know and love, but the one who is a stranger or the one who injures us. Those are the choices that Jesus gives us as he lays out this higher righteousness for us. The first mile is a requirement of law. The second mile is a statement of love. And unfortunately, too many of us run out of our breath too quickly before we ever get to the second mile. We say, I can't go on. I can't go any further. You ask too much of me, Jesus. Many of you maybe have already read uh, um, my note in the bulletin this morning about scouting. And I loved scouting. There were so many things that I learned as a part of scouting. And I still learn as a part of scouting. Some of you who are leaders still learning, aren't you? There's so many of those things that are a part of who I am as a person that I hope have helped to make me a better citizen of the country, but also a better man and a better Christian. And I can remember the scout laws. The scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Can I get an amen? Amen. And there's so many good things that have been a part of scouting that have made me who I am. It's true for Girl Scouts, too. Love the Girl Scout uh, oath that's there in the bulletin this morning as well. But what I think Jesus would say to us, those of us who've been involved in scouting, is that I'm calling you to be more than good citizens. I'm calling you to be more than good people. I want you to be more. I want you to do more. I want you to love more. We're called to be more than good citizens. Jesus calls us to the higher righteousness of the second mile. One of the things that I ran across as I was preparing for today's sermon was a with some beatitudes for married couples. Now, you can apply this in all sorts of relationships, I'm sure. But, but hear what uh, this particular author had to say. Blessed are the husband and wife who continue to be affectionate, considerate, and loving all the days of their life together. Blessed are the husband and wife who are as polite and courteous to one another as they are to their friends. <laughs> Blessed are the husband and wife who have a sense of humor for this will be a handy shock absorber. 
Blessed are they who love each other more than any other person in the world and who joyfully fulfill their marriage vow of a lifetime of fidelity as husband and wife. Blessed are they who thank God for their blessings and who set aside time each day for reading of the scriptures and prayer. Blessed are they who never speak harshly to each other and who make their home a place of mutual encouragement and love. Blessed are the husband and wife who can work out their problems without interference from their relatives. (laughs) Blessed are the husband and wife who dedicate their lives and their home to the advancement of Christ and his kingdom. Friends, it would be impossible to legally require the kind of life that Jesus talks about here. Think about the life that you live at home. Think about the life that you live with your friends. Think about how, um, how stale it might be if all you had to do in your relationships with friends and loved ones and relatives and church was to live out the requirements of our system of laws. It would fall rather short, would it not? But when we live by this higher righteousness of Jesus, we find that we're taken to a whole new level When Jesus calls us to choose to go further, it takes our living to a whole new level. When Jesus calls us to love the ones who don't love us, it takes us to a whole new place. It's precisely this realm of chosen attitudes and actions that marks great living. Make a list of the qualities that make for great relationships, great friendships, great marriages, great family life, great living, and you immediately recognize that we're dealing with the realm of choice and not law. We can require certain minimal standards of behavior, but anyone who is content to settle for what they have to do in marriage or friendships will fall far short. The legalists of Jesus' day went to great lengths to observe the minute details of the law, but they were in it for themselves. They wanted to save themselves. But Jesus was saying, if you really want to live to the full extent of the life that I would have you lead, then you've got to choose to go further. And you've got to love the ones who don't love you. Even the the Pharisees do the same. The tax collectors do that. The Gentiles do that. They, anybody can love the ones that love them. But if you can turn the other cheek, if you can go the second mile, you find the perfection to which I am calling you. The choices that distinguish the Christian life from every other life around are in the perfection of the second mile. It's the perfection of choosing the second mile that most truly marks the full measure of the Christian life. It is that perfection to which Jesus points us in verse 48 where he says, at the end of six examples of Christian living, redefined by his higher righteousness, he says, be perfect therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you want to live a perfect life according to Jesus, live in these ways. Choose to go further and offer love to those you might not think deserve it. There was a missionary 
that had been living among the Navajo people in Arizona for a number of years. And she was retiring after 35 years of service in her particular mission. On the day that she was to finish her service there, um, they had a little reception for her. There were not a whole lot of people, but, but the ones who had grown to love and appreciate her work came by and they offered their gifts to her, gave her hugs and kisses and were ready to send her on her way. But then they saw coming down the road a lady in her 70s carrying a bag. As she came to the house and she opened up her bag, she revealed one of those beautiful woolen Navajo blankets, just so full of color and so, um, so much effort in hand-weaving a, a blanket like this, beautiful fringes tied on the ends. And she offered it to this missionary and said, I just want to thank you for what you have done for me and for my people. Well, the lady, the, the missionary, knowing the woman, said, but you have, you have walked all this way from your house? She said, yes. She said, it's 14 miles away. How in the world could you walk that far? Can't, as I leave, I, my car is packed. As I leave, why don't I take you in the car and I can take you to your house? And she says, oh, no. Oh, no. The walk is part of the gift. Whenever we go that extra mile, whenever we offer that gift to one who seemingly doesn't deserve it. We have found the way of Jesus. Today we close with hymn number 419, I am thine, O Lord. And as we sing the first, second, and fourth stanzas of this uh, hymn, perhaps you will feel God tugging at your life challenging you, calling you, reminding you that the life to which he calls us is not easy. It's challenging. It calls us to do things that maybe we haven't done before or haven't done well in the past. But we don't have to live in ways that we've always lived, remember? Don't have to always sit where we always sat. If we always do what we always did, we'll always get what we always got. So what we need to hear is Jesus' challenge to us today to a higher calling of righteousness in his name. We have some who come to join our church today. If there are others that would like to be a part of the ministry of Christ as you find expressed here at St. Matthew's, we welcome you to the family and invite you to join us here at the front as we sing together.